0: Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy
1: success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Group. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Louise Adamson. She's a workplace safety speaker, a former lawyer. Louise, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks so much for having me on, it. It's a pleasure.
1: Maybe share a little bit about your journey um, and and really the story about your brother that got you really focused on driving change, positive change, around the safety space.
2: Okay, thanks. Well, my brother Michael, he was an electrician, 26 Mm -hmm. years old. He left the home that he shared with his fiance on the morning of the 4th of August 2005, and he didn't make it home to Lisa that night. So what had happened was he originally had come into a job in Edinburgh, He then got a call midway through the day from a job his employer was working on in a city called Dundee. It was an all hands on deck job to get a sports store and a gym complex completed for a handover to a client by the next again day or else some Mm -hmm. penalty clauses were going to kick in. So it's a job worth 720 grand for Michael's employer. There's a 15 grand late penalty clause if it's not handed over by 10 o'clock the next again morning. So do you know, is Michael willing Mm -hmm. to go? Well, this is a man he's saving for a wedding. He's been offered over this overtime probably right through the night, so of course he's willing to go. So he heads up to Dundee with two of his colleagues. Um, They've done pieces of work in the afternoon. They've had their evening tea break. He then heads back to work at half past six in the evening. And at that point, he was only to continue working for the next 40 minutes. Um, So Mm. what he was doing, he was working with his colleague Jim. And they were installing a security system. So they were needing to connect a cable that was already in place within a ceiling void to one they'd pulled in. And Michael is on a set of steps. He's got his head and shoulders above a false ceiling. He cuts a cable. He throws it down to Jim and that cable had a label on it, on insulating tape, just wrapped around it, and written on the label, it said, not in use. Oh dear. As then Michael is stripping the insulating material from that cable, he suffers a fatal electric shock. Um, so he fell off the ladder, he fell at Jim's feet, and efforts were made to revive him. Mm-hmm. but those efforts were were unsuccessful in the end i'm so sorry so you know that's that's a 26 year old man with his whole life ahead of him to mm-hmm. live and yep it, he didn't he didn't make it home that night because you know it's it's often said that well michael died because of contact with electricity No, my wee brother didn't die because of contact with electricity. He died because that series of failings came together and resulted in his death. So on that site, there was ineffective management and supervision. There was the paperwork that was not put into practice. You've got incorrect equipment being used. So Michael only had a multimeter available to him when he should have been using a voltage tester. There were time pressures being brought to bear, clearly, with the penalty clauses about to kick in the next mm-hmm. day. You've also got shortcuts potentially being taken. So did my brother use what I'm told is referred to by electricians as the bang test? So did he just try to cut that cable with his snips, wait on the bang to tell him it was live or not? Um We don't know if that's Mm -hmm. what he did because only he'd be able to tell us, but that's one of the possibilities that we're left with. So you've got shortcuts in the mix. You've got uh, safety on the job. It was just seen as a tick box exercise. You had a risk assessment that wasn't a living document it had been it was dated more Mm. than a year prior to their contract start date oh my goodness you know dated prior to the contract haven't even been awarded because it was one of these generic ones and no site specific tailoring has been done to that risk assessment so even at the point at which they energize the distribution boards so they're now live working that risk assessment isn't revisited so it's described by the health and safety executive inspectors as being completely inadequate so nothing living about that and it also contributed to michael's death and then uh, i think the sort of final piece the final hole in all of this is there was a workforce there that wasn't confident enough to speak up if something was wrong they were in that mindset of you know we we could speak up but nobody's going to do anything about it anyway we're coming to the end of the job what's the point you know if i do speak up i'm seen as the troublemaker the person was daubing in my pals so uh, let's just get on with it um so you know all of these things come together and result in michael's death um there there was a trial of his employer
1: Mm -hmm.
2: more than three years down the line after his death um and the outcome of that was that you know the hse said that michael's death could have been prevented had his employer ensured that safe working practices were being carried out in accordance with the company's own written procedures
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that is just you know you you don't know how hard that is um for a family to have to hear and they, they then went yeah, on to say imagine. that you know managers and supervisors must be taking active steps to ensure their electricians work safely well for us It's not just about electricians there. You swap out the word electricians, you're swapping in the word workers, operatives. Mm -hmm. It applies to anything that's going on on any site. So in Michael's case, there were charges laid against three senior individuals. So there was a managing Mm -hmm. director, an operations director, and a technical services manager were all charged with criminal health and safety offences along with the employer company but Mm -hmm. mistakes were made by the prosecutor and in the end those three individuals got to leave the court walk free from the dock before the case got before the jury so the lawyer then for the company is kind of doing his you know grand summing up speech as you expect lawyers to do but Mm. he's referring to his client as being the invisible man now sitting in the dock that being the employer company sure so it was the invisible man that was found guilty of the failures that led to my wee brother's death Um, and it was the invisible man that was fined £300,000 but that for us as a family Mm. it it doesn't approach justice and it absolutely provides us with nothing in the way of comfort so that's why I'm now trying to use Michael's story and Mm -hmm. to use it to strike a chord with other people to stop it happening to other people um, that is what now provides my family with the comfort is mm-hmm. knowing that positives come from the awful thing that is Michael's entirely preventable death
1: yeah it, it seems incredibly preventable and and everybody goes to work and and expects to come back nobody thinks about injuries and what could happen and it in this case, there's so many elements here that just show woeful inadequacy in terms of how the organization was was being run from a safety standpoint. They're looking at hazards, but not, not really understanding what they were. Um, the risk assessment to me is something that should be absolutely living, but also something that people review as they change throughout the day, as the conditions change, they need to reassess the hazards in front of them. Um, it sounded like there was a... It was labeling saying that it wasn't even a live wire so by all accounts he's trusting somebody else had done their job so it's layering of multiple multiple errors yeah. multiple inadequacies on top of each other absolutely
2: i gonna say in terms of the wire the 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 plans had changed much earlier in the job but nobody had up nobody so while the plans changed the written plans they didn't change so Nobody documented a change on wiring plans, so that then compounds that failure in relation to the the cable. Yeah,
1: I see. I see. It it and it's just the other problem is you've got multiple crews coming in without it seemingly a, an onboarding to the job, um, and and so there's changes like that that get layered on. So one topic I hear a lot is is the importance of speaking up, and and. There's two elements that you touched on because speaking up requires two parts in my opinion. One is the employer creating an environment where I'm comfortable speaking up. The leaders uh recognize, lean in when somebody speaks up, stops work and, and says this is positive, I want to see more of it. And then the other is the peer-to-peer element. Um, because that's also very important. The leaders have a big role in terms of fostering that as well. So it's not it's not an abdication, but there's two elements because there are cases where the organization's done really well in terms of encouraging it, but peers think uh, that uh, I think somebody shared a story where they said, uh, "Are you a man or a mouse?" When the person spoke up and stopped work, and so the, there's the, the peer pressure also becomes an element of it that, that the organization needs to, to to drive forward. Any thoughts in terms of of that part because that speaking up is difficult. I've done it once. I stopped work. And when you know the consequence of it being very expensive, you think about it 10,000 times. Is it really the right call? But it was recognized after uh, from the executives that it was the right choice to make. What are some of the things that you've seen to really drive that forward? Uh,
2: Do you know, I think reflecting first on the fact that my brother wasn't a a shy retiring individual you know he was a ballsy individual who if something was Mm -hmm. wrong he'd have no qualms about speaking up about it he'd already challenged his employer previously about some work that they'd been doing where asbestos was present so sure he he didn't he wasn't of that mindset so I actually, I I Hmm. don't understand why he didn't speak up in this situation. So I have to kind of second guess it. And I think a large element of it is that whole, you know, drive to get the job done. You know, guys, like we're up (laughs) against it and let's come together as a team and let's battle the odds and let's beat the odds. And we're going to get this done by 10 tomorrow morning. Like nobody thinks we can do it, but we're going to get it done. There's that mm-hmm. whole thing going on, I think. So, you know, I think the, the sheriff, the judge in the case in our sentencing statement said that there was a male, macho, cavalier approach being adopted in that industry at the time. Mm-hmm. So in terms of battling that, you you do need the the MD, the ops director, whoever it might be. They're yep. the ones that in that situation needed... They were the ones who needed to take the step back and say we're not going to put our people in this position where they're being made to make these choices. They were the ones who mm-hmm. should have stood back and had a grown-up conversation with the principal yep. contractor, the principal contractor with the client. Um, because, yeah, I, I can see that it would be easy in that situation for, for you know, the men on the ground to be swept up in that you know, <laughs> like, let's achieve the impossible <laughs> Big goal. here. Um, yes. And, and yeah, and when when you're working in an organization where safety isn't any sort of core value, it seemed, then, mm. you know, it, it's dangerous. You
1: it, it bring an important point because that desire to achieve a goal, often even in organizations that are fairly good at, at stopping work and, and at, at creating that, that relief valve, is sometimes a desire of achieving a goal can get people to start straying into forgetting about how to achieve it safely. And, and I think an example recently was the whole inquiry into the Boeing 737 MAX. And it was all a goal to let's get this plane done because otherwise Airbus had a, has, had a superior plane. And at the point in time where the, the decision was mo- made to progress, American Airlines was going to move most of its fleet on the Airbus side. Uh, whereas they had an entirely Boeing fleet. So that created this goal of let's make sure we get this plane done. Uh, and then lots of things fell apart in between. Not that that's the only item, but but people then forget about we have to do it safely. Uh, we have to make sure we know how to build a plane. We need to, to make sure we're capturing it the right way. We're getting the right diagrams, et cetera. And that yeah. goal can rally against the, the 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 right purpose, the right choices. It doesn't mean don't have a goal, I think. It's just a question of how do you mitigate that goal? How do you reinforce that? The goal is to get this done safely um, and and to pause if we see something, right? (laughs)
2: This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo Propolo has you covered. covered. Visit us at propolo.com. Yeah, and I often reiterate that because the the health and safety executive inspector who investigated Michael's death, I met him just a couple of years ago and he was saying to me, you know, supervisor level back at that time, and he was quite sure to a great degree still today, is that their number one priority is getting a job done on time. Um and I'm always saying uh-huh. that's not what it should be. It should be to get that job done safely. Sure. You know, safely isn't the added extra. It's the on time part that's your added extra. So safe safely is yeah. yeah, the key.
1: And that requires a lot of of messaging that really reinforces that story consistently within the organization, particularly in the case of the production pressure you're mentioning. Uh, because here there's penalty clauses and unfortunately that production pressure seeps in a lot even in in organizations that have good management systems it's just we got to get this done have you seen anything or there any advice that you share with organizations in terms of of how to mitigate that production pressure so it doesn't impact the choices that somebody makes
2: i guess that's really about explaining to people the the why of why they're there you know um it's at the end of the day, my brother this the sports store my brother was working on it was going to open regardless of how long it took Jerk. um it should have you know it's they're up against time pressures, so they're throwing bodies at that job to try to get this all hands on deck job completed and in in the process of that, they threw an actual body at that job Mm. um my brothers and Mm. you know the goal at the end of the day whatever you're working on is never as important as your family back at home um and Mm -hmm. that's what people need they shouldn't need reminded of that but as, as we've already talked about you know there is that whole getting swept up in a certain mentality sometimes um so it is that core value that, that leadership actually, the, the biggest thing that they care about is the people that are working for them, not exactly. whatever the product or, you know, building or whatever it might be at the end of that. Um, it's the, it's the people that they care about the most.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really the message that you share is really an organisation has to do so much more, has to reckon to to create an environment, a culture where um people get home every day to their loved ones, and the impact of of a of an of an event like this, somebody passing away, somebody getting seriously injured is a life changing impact for uh, multiple people in uh, around that person
2: yeah, absolutely, and you know we we still hear about new people who've been impacted in other ways by what happened to Michael, and we're now seventeen years on from his death but you know we we know about the immediate family, friends, his colleagues who were there at the time. Sorry, we know about the impact it's had on them. Um. Because we see it, we see it sure. day in day out. We see it. You know, we hold an annual memorial golf tournament for him. Um. So. We hear. From his colleagues at that kind of the impact that it still has on them and how much they miss him but then I'll be mm-hmm. speaking at an event and somebody will come and say to me oh I know the first aider who stopped by the site where Michael was working he was just walking he just happened to be walking past when this happened and he helped provide CPR to your brother and he's still impacted and You know, until more than a decade after Michael's death, we knew nothing about this man and about the help that he provided. So the ripple effect is so wide. Um, You know, I've just recently had a colleague of Michael's get in touch um, and she's now working in safety as a result of what Mm -hmm. happened to Michael. So... There are so many ripples, so many negative ripples, but also, I hope, so many positive ripples now being created um, out of Michael's death. And I was speaking at a Nibosh graduation on Monday and I'm saying that I hope at some point these ripples all come together and then it's that sort of groundswell of positivity so that we know Mm -hmm. that other lives have been saved um, as a result of, of... what happened to him and being able to talk about what happened to him and getting lessons learned yeah. from what happened to him.
1: Which is so important really for, for other organisations, other leaders to to recognise the importance of of really leading for safety um, and and for others in terms of the day-to-day choices they're making, how they show up as a supervisor, how they show up as a leader. So Louise, thank you very much for sharing your story. You know it's still a very difficult, raw story to share, because it, it, it'll never, there'll never really be closure, but I think the importance that, that you share, the, the importance of sharing the story, the message, I think, um, helps make sure somebody else comes home safe to the loved one. So appreciate the work that you're doing. If somebody wants to uh, have you speak to their organization, uh, how can they get in touch with you?
2: So they find me on LinkedIn or you'll get me on the website michaels-story.net or email louise at michaels-story.net. That would be fantastic. Thanks, Eric.
1: Cheers. Thank you very much, Louise.
0: Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone.
1: Thank you for listening to
0: The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Macrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.